You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live on uh, the Real Presence Radio Network. We're happy to have you with us. I'm Jack Kennelly, and with me is my wife, Doreen. We'll be your, we are your hosts for this morning. And with us now for this next segment is Todd Bryanic, who is with the uh, St. Thomas More Society in North Dakota. It's a relatively new organization. And Todd, uh, I think I'll just let you uh, take it from here to introduce yourself and, uh, and tell us a little bit about the, the, the St. Thomas More Society. Thank you, Jack, and good morning to you and Doreen and to all the listeners. Uh, back in 2013, I was reading a biography about St. Thomas More, and I was struck by how his life, especially near the end of it, paralleled so much of what was going on in our society at that time, and in particular on the issue of marriage. For those who may not know the full Thomas More story, he was an advisor to King Henry VIII, and uh, at a certain point in Henry VIII's life, well, let me back up, Henry VIII was actually a very good Catholic for much of his life and wrote uh, great treatises on the Blessed Sacrament as uh, Luther and the Reformation was commencing. And Thomas More aided him in, in writing some of those uh, treatises. But Henry VIII wanted to annul his marriage so that he could marry uh, his new lover, Anne Boleyn, and the Pope refused to do that, so Henry VIII decided to create his own church, and everybody that was in England at that time had to sign the oath saying they would follow his new church. Henry or Thomas More, as uh, the chancellor and advisor to Henry VIII, refused to sign it and uh, subsequently was, was put to death. At, that, at the time that I was reading it, that, the issue of gay marriage was uh, very uh, much being promoted within our society, and I just saw so many parallels to that. And so I contacted two great uh, Catholic lawyers that uh, I've been friends with for, for some time, Ron Fisher and Grant Schaff, and, and in 2013 we decided to create the Thomas More Society of North Dakota. I will note that I've been a school board member in Grafton for six years and was the mayor of Grafton for four, and so I've become very anti-meeting, and one of my um, proclamations, I suppose, was I was not going to be interested in, in having an organization that I had to meet regularly. And so, uh, quite frankly, uh, the St. Thomas More Society has uh, approximately 40 members, and I probably have not met 70% of them. Uh, but that's how, how we started, and uh, we continue on today. Well, I, <clears throat> I'm with you. I'm also a member of the St. Thomas More Society. At least I think I am. Uh, I'm not practicing law anymore. I relinquished my license a couple of years ago, and I'm kind of you know into retirement. But uh, I'm like you. I like the idea that they really weren't planning on having a lot of meetings or anything like that. But they are out there. And uh, are you a, a, a an officer, Todd? You know, again, based on the sort of uh, loose uh, manner in which we created it, yes, uh, Ron has, has frankly done most of the groundwork and, and does most of the emails. I, I often uh, suggest certain emails be sent to the membership. 
things that we think are important in our society, things that we think uh, our society members should be aware of, but also to pray about. And, and so I am the president. We really haven't elected officers, but de facto, because I brought this to the table, I've been the president. But I would say that Ron Fisher has acted more as the leader of the group than I have throughout its history. Mm-hmm. So right now, it sounds like it's it, it's kind of an educational organization for the members. Right now, they're not you know, really engaged in a, a lot of outreach, even though I think you mentioned yesterday when we were visiting over the phone that you did have occasion to uh, actually do some court work uh, kind of related to the society. Yeah, it didn't actually end up in court, but uh, a few years ago, the uh, Shanley football team was in the football playoffs, and as is the tradition at Shanley, and I hope it still is the tradition at Shanley, uh, they pray the Our Father before each game. The Activities Association uh, did not want them to do that because the playoff system is deemed to be uh, under the purview of the North Dakota High School Activities Association, and therefore they did not want the Our Father to be prayed. The National St. Thomas More Society contacted me to ask if I would be a local counsel for them as they uh, attempted to to require the or to stop the activities association from prohibiting the Our Father. But in the end, uh, it never got to litigation, and as I as I recall, the Our Father was not prayed before the playoff game. At least not publicly. Right. Thank you. That's very good, Doreen. Yeah. 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 I'm pretty sure it was. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I should note that uh, in addition to being uh, a lawyer, I'm also the uh, head girls basketball coach at Midway Minto and the head girls golf coach in Grafton. And during any of our games, I am uh, allegedly violating the separation of church and state as I pray Hail Marys throughout uh, golf meets and throughout basketball games wherever we go. Yeah. You're a brave man, and we need men like you. <laughs> yeah. Well, what what uh, what is the mission of the the Thomas More Society? Then you know, in in Ron's uh, emails to prospective members, he he probably put it best in in one sentence. We need men and women of faith to stand up and defend the church's teaching on matters of faith and morals, and so we certainly are here to do that. Uh, even though we haven't had to do that in North Dakota anyway, very often um, in in legal work, uh, as I indicated before, I think it's important that we uh, continue to pray and, and do those types of things, but also just to be aware of what is going on in our society. If you recall, Jack, you, you may recall, and Doreen, a few years ago, North Dakota wanted to pass its own religious uh, liberty or religious freedom uh, constitutional amendment, and that really would have fortified religious freedom within our state. And it it didn't pass in North Dakota, which is still disappointing to me. And I think it didn't pass because too many people thought, well, we've got the federal constitution and the federal separation of church and state, um, and we have to abide by that. But as, as I recently saw in a couple of cases just this, this past couple of weeks, I believe that is important, and I believe we should try to pr- to promote that and to try to uh, put that into our Constitution, simply because the federal Constitution is being interpreted at times 
in a way that does not promote religious liberty, though I will acknowledge that the last couple of cases by the Supreme Court have been favorable to our cause. Um, Todd, could you please just, I'm going off script, but um, for our listeners, could you quickly explain the difference between religious freedom and freedom to worship? Well, the, 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 or the opponents of the, of the uh, Establishment Clause in the Constitution would say that there's this wall between the Church and the state. And that wall came about in an opinion of the, of the United States Supreme Court uh, numerous years ago. It was referenced most recently, just this past week, by uh, Justice Thomas, who wants to destroy that wall. Um, in a couple of recent cases, uh, the Supreme Court acknowledged that, for example, uh, in a recent case with the Little Sisters of the Poor in Pennsylvania, Obamacare required all employers, including the Little Sisters and other Catholic entities, to provide contraception and abortion fashions to their employees. Obviously, that goes against Catholic teaching. The Trump administration uh, allowed them to opt out of that. And in in the most recent case, the Supreme Court agreed that that religious entities can opt out of that if it violates their conscience. Um, That's an example of the secular world trying to impose its view on religious entities, but always reacting very hostily to any time there may be a religious view that could be imposed on a secular entity. So that's a, that's an attack on our religious freedom. It is. So what is freedom to worship? Well, the freedom to worship would be very specific to go into your church and worship as you wish. And shut and the th- doors. And <laughs> shut the doors. And I think that's really what today's secular society is, is seeking, is an eradication of God from our society. And the only time that you can uh, acknowledge God is in your churches. I, I really believe that's where we're going in as a society, and certainly uh, that is something that we may even need to fight here in North Dakota. Yeah, I think the first time I heard that phrase was during a, I don't know if it was a presidential debate back in 2016, and uh, the, uh, I think it was Hillary Clinton used the phrase, and I thought this this has a certain ominous quality to it. And I think what's uh, <clears throat> what's interesting, that what's going on in our culture, and, and maybe we'll get a chance to talk about that a little bit, uh, is that there are attacks... Uh, against religious freedom, and they've really kind of stepped up their pace over the course of the last, uh, num- you know, five, ten years. And uh, I don't think most people are really aware of it, you know, because, uh, you know, unless they uh, watch the news and kind of follow the Supreme Court decisions, because the uh, the one about the Little Sisters of the Poor uh, is kind of interesting, because who would think that uh, any government would force the little sisters of the poor to uh, violate their own consciences by requiring them to provide uh, abortifacients in their uh, in their health care plans you know it's there, there's things going on out there it's like, uh, where it's like how can how can the government do that but it's happening and some of them are failing fortunately but uh, it's kind of like an ongoing assault uh, there was you know there were recent cases just this past week that were decided. I, I think, um, Todd, you were going to you know, mention those a little bit uh, in our discussion this morning. Maybe this would be a good time, or we can wait for it on the other side of the break, because I really think uh, Catholics in particular, but people of all faiths, 
need to know that uh, freedom of religion is kind of on the pretty shaky ground right now. Yeah, I think it. I think it really is, and certainly I can address some of those cases. But uh, I think the greater point I would like to stress is, and I've said this often to uh, religion students whenever I've been asked to teach classes. The devil is very good at what he does, and the devil is not going to stop attacking, especially the Holy Catholic Church, which the devil knows is the largest single religious entity in the history of the world and is the only one created by Jesus Christ. And so the attacks on the Catholic Church are going to continue. One of the major ramifications of this upcoming election is how government treats religion, and depending on how that that vote goes in November, I really believe that if it goes the wrong way, within the next 10 years or less, I, as an attorney, will have to defend uh, one of my uh, friend priests, Father Joseph Christensen at, at Warsaw, I will have to defend him from having to perform a so-called gay marriage in a Catholic church. Now, on the other side of that, unfortunately, within the Catholic Church, there is a push to do exactly that, and unfortunately, uh, the place where Martin Luther started the Reformation, Germany, the German bishops are already taking steps to move the Church in a way that is not Catholic, and so the devil is within as well as he is without. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, with that, I think this would be a good time for us to take a, 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 a brief break. You're listening to uh, Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Uh, your hosts are my wife, Doreen, and myself, Jack Canelli, and we're talking with Todd Bri Brianic, who's with the St. Thomas More Society. So stay tuned. We've got more to come. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Mayo Pharmacy in Bismarck is a faith-based pharmacy committed to delivering excellent care. We're pro-life and pro-family, respecting the dignity of the human person while providing for your individual needs. We have Catholic gifts for all ages, from mystic monk coffee to cards and crucifixes. Plus, we offer a wide range of clinical services, including rapid influenza testing and diabetes care management. You can visit us at 303 North 4th Street to discover the Mayo difference. Our number is 701-223-2424. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, the Director of Advancements for Real Presence Radio with today's Plan Giving Minute. Philanthropy is an expression of your generosity with the understanding that your gift to the church will make a difference. There are many ways in which you can make a gift to further God's work. Most of us are familiar with cash gifts we give regularly to Real Presence Radio. However, another way of contributing is through Plan Giving, which may allow you to give more than you've ever dreamed possible. The goal of plan giving is to help you plan your estate and charitable giving in a way that benefits you, your family, and our mission. There are several ways you can make these plan gifts and enjoy tax and income benefits. For more information, please visit our plan giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. Let's get started. 
Hello, I'm Linda Baldwin with the Mustard Seed Catholic Store here in Sioux Falls. We are now open, 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Friday and 9 to 5 on Saturdays. We're located at 3709 South Grange, just west of Costco. We stock Catholic books, artwork, saint medals, rosaries, Bibles, parish supplies, plus mystic monk coffee and gifts for those special occasions like baptisms, First Communion, and Confirmation. I look forward to your visit to the Mustard Seed Catholic Store here in Sioux Falls. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. We're talking with Todd Brionic, uh, an attorney in North Dakota, and we're talking about the St. Thomas More Society. And um, right now, I think our discussion has kind of gotten into about... Uh, Assaults on um, religion in the United States that are going on and we're seeing played out in the courts. And I know that in the last, just in the last couple of weeks, there's been some significant cases that came out of the U.S. Supreme Court that uh, that uh, uh, pertain to our freedom of religion. And Todd, I'll let you kind of take the lead on that. And end with the good news, but the, the bad news it started a couple of weeks ago with the Bostock case. And what that did was uh, put transgenderism into uh, Title Seven, which is you may have heard of Title Nine. Title Seven is a part of the, the same group of, of laws. Going back to Title Nine, Title Nine promoted women in sports, and it was a great act, and it's a great thing. Uh, as a coach, my concern with what the court did in Bostock under Title Seven will mean that if I can find a six-foot-five-inch boy who thinks he's a girl, he can play on my girl's basketball team. And we have to make accommodations for him to do that. Um, in in Massachusetts, I believe, the winner of the 100-yard dash for the state girls' competition was a boy who transferred his life into being a woman. The biggest issue with the Bostock case that I have is that two of the so-called conservative justices, Justice Gorsuch, who wrote the opinion, and Chief Justice Roberts joined in this opinion. And for about 20 years, or maybe not that long, 10 years, Congress was trying to add transgender to Title VII, and Congress could not get it passed. The, the Democrats in Congress tried to pass that, and it never got passed. They didn't need to pass it, though, because the, the justices of the Supreme Court decided to legislate and change the legislative act of Title VII to include transgenderism, to allow for that to be a protected class in our society. And the ramifications of that are, just as I described, uh, boys could be participating in what used to be Title IX girls' sports. And so I, I see that as a, a great setback not just based on the opinion itself, but, but, but based on the idea that a conservative justice to the Supreme Court would act in that legislative capacity. And I think I mentioned this to you yesterday, Jack and Doreen, when I briefly visited. Why is it that whenever a liberal justice gets appointed to the Supreme Court, he or she stays liberal, but when a conservative justice gets appointed, he or she ends up being liberal? Good question. Yeah. <laughs> 
That was a rhetorical question. You're not anticipating an answer from us on that one, correct? I, I really wasn't, but I just thought if, if you had one, I'd be pleased to do yeah. it. No, I think, I think you're right. because I remember, I remember years ago there was a chief, I think it was Chief Justice Earl Warren who was appointed by, I don't know if it was Eisenhower or Nixon, who was cons- considered a conservative, but uh, uh, he, he certainly was not that way in, in the opinions that he wrote. But I guess that's just kind of the way of the world, maybe. Um, Okay, well, you got you got the bad news out of the way. Let's go to the good news. Okay, the, the good news, well, we started with the Little Sisters' opinion yesterday, um, or earlier in this conversation, I think that came out two days ago, uh, regarding the forced rule of, of providing contraception. I would note that the Attorney General in Pennsylvania has said he's going to keep fighting this, so these Little Sisters of the Poor are literally going poor, uh, because they're going to have to keep fighting this in the court system. They're going. They're, they're, again, the the secular world will not allow for this, and so they're going to keep fighting this. Uh, and it reminds me of the uh, cake baker in Colorado, who won his case at the Supreme Court. They've been sued two more times since then, and I think another one of those cases may end up in the Supreme Court. And, and to be clear about what that cake baker is doing. He is serving his products to gay people every single day of his life. A gay person can come in and get a donut. A gay person can come in and, and buy a cake. The issue is the message. He does not want to put the message of congratulations, Phil and Joe, on the cake. And that's it. But they won't stop fighting him. And so he'll end up back in, in court and, and spending a lot of money to do that. Um, but the Little Sisters was a good opinion. Before that was the Espinoza case, which I believe it came out of Oklahoma. Oklahoma had uh, funding, special funding for uh, colleges, and they refused to provide those types of grants and, and uh, scholarships to, or tax credits, I should say, to Catholic schools. The Catholic schools uh, fought that, and the Supreme Court found that they were eligible. If a state provides those types of uh, tax credits to secular entities, they have to to religious. And so that was another good uh, opinion. And then uh, I, I think the most recent ones was uh, a couple of cases regarding employee discrimination in which religious organizations are able to have what's called the ministerial exception, and they are uh, protected from employment discrimination lawsuits. Right. I think those are interesting cases because um, I know when they, they first came out, the, the, the concern was, that, and I think this was the Hosanna Tabor case, uh, the concern was the if the government had prevailed, the government would have been able to force uh, religious schools to hire people who uh, actually... Uh, lived lifestyles or reflected uh, attitudes that were contrary to the teachings and the mission of the school, and the schools would have to hire them if they were qualified, as opposed to being able to say, I'm sorry, uh, you know, uh, you're, we consider you to be a minister because you're teaching the faith to our children, and uh, apparently your, you know, your your life or your activities or your teachings are contrary to that. And so it was important. That was an important win. And I think this more recent case, and I can't remember the name of it, uh, kind of uh, affirmed that even a little further. Am I right on that? Yes, yes, you are. And 
in reviewing those cases, I was surprised at the types of claims that were being made. Um, I think we've all seen where the Catholic school discovers that the teacher just got married to a same-sex partner and has fired that person for not reflecting Catholic teaching. Um, but these cases didn't involve that, and so I was a little surprised as to the facts of the cases. But yes, you're absolutely right. That ministerial exception um, seems to have been fortified by these opinions, and, and I think yeah. that really is good news. And, and I think what the you know the general public might not understand is the idea that this sort of uh, effort is being made out there to force religious schools to have to hire people who, you know, teach and live contrary to the tenets of their faith. Absolutely, and and taking this to just, again, why the Catholic Church is being targeted, you will, you will never hear uh, anybody battling uh, against a Muslim who wants to take time during the middle of the day to, to go to a special place, and accommodations are made for them to pray. You know, it's only when it's the Catholic Church and the Catholics that these attacks are being made. Each of these involve Catholic entities. Right, and when it's the Church, it's Christ himself. It's That's an attack true. On well, Christ. maybe we should take comfort in that, because Jesus said, you know, you will be persecuted for the sake of my name, and that's what's happening, so I guess we should take comfort that we're in the right place. We have to keep fighting. <laughs> well, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, no, no doubt about it. And then the uh, the other the other comfort that I have is that his, his promise to the apostles is, is his promise to us. I am with you always until the end of time, and, and certainly he will be there. I just wish he would send his mother down every once in a while, like he did at Fatima, to reveal what we're doing is wrong and to reveal what hell looks like. I just, I keep asking God to do that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll know who to think when it happens. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I think, yeah. I think one, I think there is a little bit of light in all this because I think that, um, you know, and you get what you pay for, for this is my free legal opinion. It seems to me that the Supreme Court, though, in the last, uh, at least four out of five last religious uh, freedom cases has come out, I think, uh, uh, reinforcing uh, our religious freedom as opposed to uh, uh, diminishing it. Yes, I would agree with that. The one case I hadn't mentioned on the on the negative side was the Louisiana case in which doctors at admitting privileges uh, were required in uh, Louisiana the Supreme Court uh, did not require that, and as we as we talk about Black Lives Matter, it should be noted that twice as many black babies were aborted in Louisiana than white babies. If we really care about black lives, we should start caring about those lives in the womb. Right, and I know we're. I'm I'm sorry to cut you off a little bit here, Todd, but we've got a hard break coming okay. up in thirty seconds. And Could I just end with a Thomas More quote then before I go? by all means. Okay, so his wife was trying to talk him into signing the oath, and his quote to his wife was, My dear wife, you have no head for business. Would you really like me to trade eternity for a mere 20 years? And, and she had said that he thought it, she had, he had 20 years of life left. He decided he did not want to trade eternity for a mere 20 years. Okay. What an inspiration. <laughs> okay, great. Thanks for being with us, Todd, and good luck and best wishes. God bless to the St. Thomas More Society of North Dakota and the national one as well. 